Hey everybody, this is Luna Tan, and this is Dwayne Paris. You are listening to Clubotech Publishing Radio. Here we talk about what's happening in the publishing industry today, share stories and insights from publishers, and discuss how we can shape the future of publishing. Welcome to the twenty seventh episode of Clubotech Publishing Radio. I'm Luna, and I'm Dwayne Paris. This time, we are very excited to have Karen Phillips with us. Karen M. Phillips serves as executive director and publisher at Words Without Borders, where she is focused on expanding access to international literature. Prior to joining Words Without Borders, Karen worked at the Americas Society, the Committee to Protect Journalists, and as a consultant to international cultural organizations, including Germany's UNESCO Commission. She holds an MPA from NYU's Wagner School of Public Service and a BA from Smith College, where she studied Spanish literature. A lifelong student of languages, Karen speaks fluent Spanish and can make conversation in French, Portuguese, and German. Thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Thank you so much for having me, Luna and Dwayne. We're really thrilled, as we know you are going to bring the story of Words Without Borders to us. For some who haven't heard of Words Without Borders yet, WWB, if I may use the initials, is an international magazine open to international exchange through translation, publication, and promotion of the world's best writing and authors who are not easily accessible to English-speaking readers. The first issue appeared in July, August, two thousand three. So we got to know Words Without Borders from our guest Esther Allen on a, on the last episode. Could you tell us a bit more about how WWB was founded, grow step by step, and becomes the home for international literature as it is now? Yes, definitely. And Esther Allen is just a phenomenal translator, scholar, supporter of translation, and she has been a close friend of Words Without Borders since our very beginnings. So this year, it's actually going to be twenty years since three editors got together in New York to see how they could make more writing from around the world really available and accessible in English translation. These women were Elaine Salierno Mason. Dee Dee Feldman and Samantha Schnee, and they were really the brains behind Words Without Borders, which was always envisioned as an online publication. Back at a time when online literary magazines were something of a novelty, the idea was that being online, it would be easier to publish new writing in translation and easier for readers worldwide to access. Now, this was at a time, kind of post 9/11, when there was A rise in cultural isolationism and fear about other places in the U.S. and these women wanted to tell really another story about the world through literature, and、um, that was 20 years ago. So <laughs> since then, we've grown. We're we're up to close to 4,500 writers and translators published on our site. And they're from 142 different countries around the world, translated from 136 languages. So, of course, there's languages that you may think of 
immediately Arabic, Mandarin, Spanish. Yes, of course, French. We have content in all of those languages. But then also Thai and Basque, Ukrainian, Urdu, and then languages that maybe you're less familiar with, like Wolof or Cheti Malay, which is a Creole language spoken in Malaysia and Singapore, or Runyankole Rukiga, which is actually a Bantu language from southwestern Uganda. So as we've grown, you know, we have been able to access literatures that are, are very rarely translated, and that's very exciting. We've also grown, now we host literary events with international authors and translators. We have a robust education program, which I hope I can talk about a little bit later, and a fellowship program at Words Without Borders for early career professionals. And just last month, we launched a grant, a new grant for early career literary translators to help give some support to translators who are just entering the field as it's quite a hard field to get started in. And now I'll just say that our readership has also grown and we're, we're reaching you know, around 800,000 unique readers every year. And surprising to some, about 60% of our readers are not based in the US, but are accessing us in English all around the world. So um, that's a little bit how we've grown over the past 20 years. Very well. Correct me if I'm wrong. The mission of Words Without Borders is to cultivate global awareness by expanding access to international writing and creating a bridge between readers, writers, and translators. So can you tell us what efforts WWB has made to improve accessibility of these works? Definitely. And access has really been a driving word of our work over these past years and increasingly today. So at the end of the day, we really want to enable as many readers of English to have a meaningful experience with a wide and varied list of contemporary writers from around the world. If you went to a world-class museum, say the Louvre, and only saw artwork from your own country or language, you'd be missing out. Uh, and we feel the same for writing from the whole world. So the first step when we think about access at Words Without Borders is through translation. And we work really closely with expert literary translators who can bring a text into English without translators who, in my opinion, are just amazing superheroes of this work. It, what we do just not, isn't possible. Without translators, none of our work would be possible, period. Then, you know, as we publish this work, we want to remove as many barriers to access as we can. So we have always had a model of a free publication so that if a reader wants to maybe take a chance with a writer they've never heard of, or even a writer whose name is in a language that they can't pronounce or they feel, you know, maybe a bit intimidated, they can come on over to Words Without Borders, feel welcome, give it a try, explore deeper. So we're able to keep our content free to readers everywhere and still pay our contributors because we have a nonprofit structure. So we raise money from grants and from donations and through sponsorships from corporate partners. And that that is really essential to our model and our access. And then I'll, I'll just 
say that as we've grown, we've considered even more ways to make this work accessible. So last year we relaunched our website and we really had an eye on accessibility. You know, how can we make this work accessible to many different types of abilities? And so we included an accessibility widget and also improved navigation and design. And we added functionality for audio content. We also now have a really fun function that allows readers to read by country. So sort of a, where are you going today in the world? Even if you don't know any writers from say Thailand, but you're very curious to learn more, you can read by country and quickly generate kind of a reading list of contemporary Thai writers. And as we look ahead to the future, we're thinking about even more ways to meet readers where they are. You know, can we distribute Words Without Borders, writers and stories and poems via audio with an audio partner? Can we put Words Without Borders content on platforms that younger readers are using, like TikTok or YouTube? Mm -hmm. These are some of the questions we're looking into as we prepare to enter our third decade and really want to radically expand the audience of readers for this amazing writing. That's awesome. I really like the fact that someone traveling to a certain place can look up literature from that area and find an author from that area that may be of interest to them. I think that's really going the distance there. You mentioned that you are not for profit. So how would someone interested be able to contact you if they wanted to donate to Words Without Borders? Oh, Duane, I'm glad you asked because it's so easy. You can just reach out to me, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at wordswithoutborders.org. But our website also has a convenient donation page and it's easy to make a contribution online if you just go to wordswithoutborders.org and look for the donate button in the upper right-hand corner. Um, but if anyone also has any questions, I, I love to hear from readers and I'm available at my email. Sounds amazing. I really like how WWB has made a literature sharing and language sharing um, so easy and accessible. And I really like the feature you uh, just talked about, allowing the readers to read a, a piece of good writing by countries. And I think what WWB has done is like paving a way for literacy creators who might otherwise won't be able to gain an audience in English speaking countries. I wonder uh, if you have one or two impressive examples that you could share with us. Sure, it's, it's always hard to choose examples because I think all the writers we publish are just so, I mean, they're so different and they're so wonderful, um, but I will share a couple examples. I mean, as you mentioned, it's not easy to break into the English language market from another country or another language. It just isn't. There's a whole set of factors that make it challenging. And even if a writer manages to get over these hurdles and have a book published in English, it may not enjoy the same buzz and audience that say a US-based Anglophone writer would receive. And then when you look at the books that have been published in English translation and are being published in English translation, and there's lots of amazing 
especially independent publishers doing this work. But you still see mostly a, a small group of languages that are having most of the books published. So that's those are all the factors in the field that we're looking at. And our model, of course, is to create this free platform that's free and accessible and to publish a very wide range of literary writers from around the world. Because we're not publishing books and we're fully online, we have a little bit more flexibility to go deeper and go further and seek out work from languages and literary traditions that may not usually get published in book length translation. So I wanted to choose one example of a series we launched a couple of years ago, which focuses on indigenous languages and writing being done in indigenous languages. Now, some indigenous languages are also endangered. So this is an important step in not only appreciating and listening to these creators, but also a sort of another space for where these languages can survive and thrive. And one of the languages we focused on is Guarani, which is an indigenous community and also language group that stretches across several South American countries. One of the writers I particularly loved from this collection of Guarani writers is a poet and translator and publisher whose name is Miguel Angel Mesa. And he writes in Guarani and his Poetry is breathtaking and also has a very unique quality and tone. And we've published a couple of his poems on Words Without Borders. And in the case of this poet, he actually has been able to be published by a small press called Ugly Duckling Press. And he's published a chapbook of his poetry in English translation. So you can find his work at Ugly Duckling Press. I also want to mention how important it is to read literature from around the world at moments of you know crisis and conflict when maybe the only story we're hearing about a place is a newspaper headline or a sensational story and writers from these places can present a human voice around these these situations and i wanted to pull the example of ukraine right now and we've been publishing Ukrainian writers and, and did a special focus late last spring following the invasion of Ukraine. One of the poets whose work I've found very moving is called Liuba Yakimchuk. And we had actually published Liuba back in 2016, and she was on our radar. But this fall, we were able to commission a new translation of her work and it responds to the ongoing situation in Ukraine. And it's a very, it's a beautiful, it's a heartbreaking poem called The Making of Tenderness, translated from the Ukrainian by Oksana Maksimchuk. Yes, I do think that when we hear news from other places around the world, we just get the headlines, right? And getting a, a more human point of view from someone who lives there and someone who lives that story brings it home a little, a little bit more and, and gets you to understand exactly what's going on. So I wanted to ask about our literature from how many countries you've made available through Words Without Borders, but within one country, you can have many different languages. 
So the question I'm going to ask is, how many different languages have you translated or made available through Words Without Borders? Definitely, yes. And there are so many languages um, being spoken around the world. To date, we've worked with literature from 136 different languages. And, you know, as I mentioned before, increasingly looking deeply to find writers in language groups that are not typically being translated, you know, that can take more time identifying mm -hmm. the translators and working closely with the translators. But I, I'm particularly proud of our editorial team for continuing to push themselves to reach out and, and find writers and languages that, that are not being translated. Great. And on that note, how do you find the writers that you publish? Do you have a submission requirement? Do you do the search and select? How does that work? Sure. Great question. So at this point, Words Without Borders has a very wide and growing network of people around the world who are translators, writers, scholars, editors, and publishers, and even cultural organizations. And we tap that network to identify writers to work with. So we might have a translator approach us with a proposal, um, say they want to work on a special collection of writing from Assamese and have, or Gujarati, which is a collection we just published. And then we work with them to think about who to include, which writers, you know, a timeline for publication. And that network, which is always growing, is essential to the work we do because we do have an editorial staff, but they are not experts in every language or every literature. Um, they're expert editors and have a great eye for curating this work, but we really need to work with these partners, guest editors, and consultants to make sure we're kind of doing justice to a particular language or or theme or regional literature. You just mentioned Hachinese or Gujaratis. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correct, but where are those? Where do those languages originate from? Sure. So Gujarati is in India. Actually, they're both both languages of India, and I think that's an area in recent years we've been trying to focus more resources on. You know, a country like India that has incredible linguistic diversity, and we may be missing some of the great literary talents because these, I say, quote unquote, smaller languages, which have millions of speakers and writers, may not be getting translated as much. So we've really tried to partner with translators and other projects on the ground to give a space and a platform for some of these Indian languages. Excellent. I can see that what you have been doing in WWB actually means a lot to preserve this, not only the language itself, but means a lot for also preserving an endangered culture could be. And my next question is because um, this year, the year of 2023 is a milestone for WWB because we noticed that the 
the first time that Words Without Borders released for the first time is 2003. So I wonder whether there will be any events or programs will mark this memorable occasion. Yes, definitely. It is our 20th anniversary year and two decades for any literary enterprise, but especially one devoted to translated literature, is a milestone to celebrate. And we are really um, bringing our community together over the coming year to celebrate all that we have achieved and to look to the future. It's also coming on the heels of a major overhaul of our website and our publishing model, which has been kind of preparing us for our next phase of growth. And we have a lot planned for the coming year to celebrate. We'll be toasting the anniversary at several conferences and events, including the London Book Fair this April. We'll be launching a special anniversary campaign, which I'm really excited about, through which we'll be celebrating 20 of our outstanding authors and translators for our 20 years. So there'll be kind of a, a focus on 20, 20 writers and translators for 20 years, and then in late October, we'll be hosting a big gala celebration to, for our 20th anniversary in New York City. And then all of these events will be accompanied by a special fundraising campaign that's designed to help us stride into our next 20 years as an organization. Sounds great. Uh, may I say happy anniversary? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you right, very much. Exactly. I know, I wish I were just turning 20. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you you mentioned that um, your big celebration will be in New York City. Where is Words Without Borders headquarters? Our headquarters are in New York, and that's where we have our office and a lot of our our board members and 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 several of our staff members are based there. But during the pandemic, we became much more of a virtual organization and realized that you know, we can really do Words Without Borders from anywhere. So now my team works almost entirely remotely, which has been really a great transition for us. Sure, so it's Words Without Borders gone to work without borders. Exactly, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> so Karen, this has been a great conversation so far, and I thank you for the time that you spent with us. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us that we haven't asked today? Thanks so much, Duane, for asking. There is one other program I'd love to talk about and share with your audience today because it's a program that's very near and dear to my heart. And um, it's our education program. So back in 2017, we launched Words Without Borders Campus, which is a way that we, it's basically a strategy to help us reach and inspire thousands of young readers in their classroom. So it's focused mostly on high school and college students, both in the US and internationally. And we're trying to basically get our authentic global literature into the classroom. So the program pairs carefully selected texts from the Words Without Borders archive and packages them together with rich curricular materials. And this all, happens online on the Words Without Borders campus website. So we have writing from more than 100 authors from around the world. And each piece of writing has teaching prompts, background information, 
glossaries, pronunciation guides, uh, multimedia contextual information, say a video to help you understand what's happening in the story. And we have work from dozens of countries on the program, including Egypt, Mexico, China, Japan. So this is a program that's really helped us bring international literature to the classroom. And as it's grown, we've also started to develop training modules to provide support to teachers and school districts who are interested in bringing this global literature to their students. And to date, we've trained over 750 teachers uh, here in the US. It's really, I think what's most kind of moving about the program, for me anyways, is when we hear from teachers about how reading this literature and translation has brought students who were previously not very engaged in the curriculum into the curriculum. This may be the first time that a student has seen a piece of their own cultural heritage reflected in what they're reading in class. And last year, we were able to bring a wonderful Guatemalan writer whose name is Rodrigo Fuentes, a writer that we published on Words Without Borders, to meet with high school students in Brooklyn. Several of the students had themselves um, migrated to the US from Guatemala. And at the end of their time with Rodrigo, there were several of them saying, hey, you know what, I wanna be a writer too. And they were so inspired to meet him and hear his work and hear him read in Spanish and English. And it, it's a great example of how this literature can inspire and engage kind of the next generation of readers. Terrific. I can imagine how this education program like ignited the youngsters, their awareness and pride using their mother language and also this really helps the whole society improve the cultural diversity language diversity and the sustainability of the society as a whole it's really great to have this conversation today with you karen and at the end of each interview we usually have a conventional session which we call uh, signature questions if you're ready we're going to bring on the first one of course. So tell us the best way for you to get relaxed. Oh, I wish I got to get relaxed more often <laughs> these days. But um, I'm currently based in my hometown of Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful and really spirit lifting places on Earth. So for me, a great way to relax is taking a walk or a hike in the high desert here. And it really helps me to clear my head makes me feel kind of grounded in and also inspired by the landscape that I'm privileged to call home. Excellent. Sounds very soothing. And for question number two, would you tell us two people, dead or alive, that if given a chance, you would like to invite to dinner? <laughs> uh, I kind of hate this question because when I think of my most memorable dinners, they have been with just wonderful, gracious, and interesting friends around the world. And I suspect I'd be much too nervous if I were having dinner with some, you know, someone I really admired. That said, I think two people that I would be really curious to spend some time with 
both of them are, are no longer living, is uh, Victoria Ocampo, who was a literary patron, a translator, a publisher in Argentina, and had a big influence on literary culture during her day. And she seemed just a fascinating person. And then as a lover of food, I also was thinking of Julia Child, who I would love to spend some time with. She seems incredibly fun, but also the food would be very good. Would she be preparing that dinner? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I would not prepare it. She would be invited to prepare the dinner. <laughs> Excellent, thanks. I actually, I actually, when I was in college, my jazz band had an opportunity to play for Julia Child when she was still living. Ooh. And she came up during the dinner to thank us. And she was so, she was so kind. And, you know, the fact that she had, had thought to come up and thank the, the jazz band, you know, was really, really wonderful. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. Excellent. Uh, the third question, could you share one of your favorite phrases? We know you are very talented in language. Well, you can say it either in English or any other languages you are fluent. Sure, this is such a great question. And I love idiomatic expressions, particularly ones that involve food. Um, and, and every language seems to have quite a lot of food idioms. Um, so in English, expressions that we throw out like two peas in a pod or low-hanging fruit, a recent expression I've learned is to over-egg the pudding, or one I use a lot is to have a very full plate. Uh, so those are some in English, but I'm remembering at a time when I was uh, living in Spain, and the woman I lived with loved to say, lentejas para viejas, si no las quieres comer, las dejas, which is basically you know, rough translation, lentils for old ladies, if you don't want to eat them, leave them. And she was always making lentils for us. But uh, it was kind of like, if you're not interested in it, let it go, no big deal. Um, and I love that one. And I also loved the expression, um, ser mas bueno que el pan, which is basically to be better than bread. And if you love bread, you know, that's, a very quick way to describe someone who's absolutely wonderful if they can be better than bread. I have to say, I really oh. enjoy listening to you speaking Spanish because I personally have no idea about this language, but uh, your Spanish sounds really amazing. <laughs> You're kind, thank you. And dear listeners, this is Karen Phillips. She would like to share with us how to join the big family of Words Without Borders by getting access to their great newsletter. And Karen? Yes, definitely. I just invite all of you to come and visit wordswithoutborders.org. Take a risk on a writer you've never heard of, jump in, read something, read a poem, read an interview. And while you're there, you can subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. That's a great place to learn about the free literary events that we organize and to get to know new writers. So you can sign up at wordswithoutborders.org slash subscribe. And um, it's free and it's a great way to get involved. Excellent. 
Yes, it is. Please remember to visit wordswithoutborders.org, and you can also find the link in the episode notes. Thank you again for joining us, Karen. And we thank you, Luna. You. Thank you, Dwayne. Subscribe to Clubtech Publishing Radio in whatever podcasting app you listen to, or get this podcast delivered to your inbox by subscribing to Clubtech's newsletter. It's free and easy to sign up. The link is in the episode notes. Special thanks to Nello Clubtech, Marian Belling, Bjorn Berger, Angie Heinrich, Stefan Kaufer, George Logan, and Mark Wintle for making this episode possible. Leave us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, or email us at podcast at clopatech.com. This is Clopatech Publishing Radio. I'm Dwayne Paris. I'm Luna Tan. Thank you for listening.